Hey guys, I have a podcast that I think you'll really enjoy. Proof, the investigative true crime podcast co-hosted by Susan Simpson of Undisclosed and Jacinda Davis of Evil Lives Here is releasing its highly anticipated second season where they investigate the murder of 18-year-old Renee Ramos. The first season, which if you haven't listened to yet, you totally should, saw the release of two Georgia men serving life sentences for murdering their friend, Brian Bowling. And thanks to evidence unearthed by proof, on December 8th, 2022, both Daryl Lee Clark and Kane Joshua Story were finally freed after 25 years behind bars. With that same investigative drive, Susan and Jacinda are on the case again, and this time, they are on the streets of Manteca, California, to find out who really killed Renee Ramos. In proof, murder at the warehouse, you hear how, on June 5th, 2000, Renee's body was found buried beneath a pile of debris inside a new Home Depot building. And how, despite tips hinting at alternate suspects, her boyfriend, 18-year-old Jake Silva, and 33-year-old Ty Lopez were arrested and convicted of her murder. Fans of true crime and investigative series won't want to miss this riveting new season. Follow the case as Susan and Jacinda uncover long-overlooked evidence about what really happened to Renee by listening to Proof, Murder at the Warehouse, wherever you get your podcasts. There were two more murders 15 miles away. When police arrived, they found the telephones and electricity lines. We have a weird homicide. A scene described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird... Morning. Mental health awareness is incredibly important. Diagnosing, understanding, and helping an individual out can quite literally save a person's life. Or in this case, 13 lives. On September 16th, 2013, a man took the lives of 12 individuals whom he had no personal connection to. A man who, had anyone tried to help, may have gotten the treatment he so desperately needed. So if you like your coffee hot but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. On September 16, 2013, a man named Aaron Alexis left a residence in hotel in Washington, D.C. and made his way towards the Naval Sea Systems Command around 7.53 a.m. Using a valid pass to be on the base, Aaron went straight for Building 197 and, at 8.08 a.m., walked through the main entrance carrying a large shoulder bag at his side. Making his way towards the fourth floor, a floor where he had conducted some work the week prior, Aaron went straight to the bathroom and opened up the duffel bag to reveal a disassembled shotgun. When he left the bathroom, now armed and very dangerous, he went over to the building's four west area and pulled the trigger at 8.16 a.m. In a flurry of bullets, six individuals were hit, five of which died. A minute later, the first handful of 911 calls were made as Aaron, still shooting and killing three more, made his way down to the third floor where he spent just two minutes shooting two more people. On the first floor, Aaron continued his terrifying mission. Seven minutes after the first shell left the barrel of his gun, the D.C. Metropolitan Police Department, along with several other agencies, showed up to assess the situation. Unfortunately, the base was filled with buildings and the officers weren't quite sure which of the structures was Building 197, having to ask bystanders to point them in the right direction while precious time was ticking away. 
They would later say that they knew they had come upon the right building when they saw handfuls of people fleeing through the doors and out to safety. As officers worked to evacuate the wounded victims inside of the building, moving them to another to seek medical treatment, Aaron headed towards the front entrance where he shot the security officer on duty and took his 9mm pistol. The security officer, A. Richard Ridgel, had been told by two police officers to stay at his post and stop the gunman if he had an opportunity. Aaron then shot at a second security guard and a military police officer, but missed both before fleeing down the hallway as they returned fire. At 8.34 a.m., the shooter moved to a different part of the building where he encountered two men standing in an alleyway. He tried to shoot at them, but quickly realized that his shotgun had run out of ammo, switching to the 9mm and killing one of the three men. When police happened upon this particular part of the building, the switch in weapons forced them to rethink their entire strategy for capture. For a moment, they believed there was now a second shooter that they had to contend with. After killing his last victim, Aaron Alexis moved to a cubicle area to discard his, now useless, shotgun. That final gunshot that rang out in Building 197 just so happened to take place as a team of officers entered, and when it echoed in a nearby atrium, it led the lawmen to believe that the shooter was now on an upper floor. As they made their way up the stairs, Aaron stayed put on the first floor. At approximately 8.55 a.m., Aaron finally went up to the third floor and secured himself inside of a bank of cubicles. He remained completely hidden until two officers and two NCIS agents entered the area and Aaron opened fire. One officer, a man named Scott Williams, was hit and had to be dragged out of the room while the other men alerted the rest of the officers that they had found the gunman. They entered the room at 9.15, a shootout ensued, and at 9.25 a.m., 34-year-old Aaron Alexis was shot in the head, thus putting an end to the Washington Navy Yard shooting. Including the gunman, there were 13 fatalities over the course of just an hour, 11 of which were killed at the scene. Their names were Michael Arnold, Martin Bodrog, Aaron Daniels, Sylvia Frazier, Kathy Gardy, John Roger Johnson, Mary Frances de Lorenzo Knight, Frank Kohler, Vishnu Kisan Pandit, Kenneth Bernard Proctor, Gerald Reed, and Richard Michael Ridgel. They were all civilian employees or contractors, and none were in the military. The shooting was quickly named the second deadliest murder on a U.S. military base behind the 2009 Fort Hood shooting. So who was this man who caused such devastation in such a short period of time? And what did he have against the Naval Sea Systems Command? Aaron Alexis was born on May 9, 1979 in Queens and grew up in Brooklyn and was a resident of Fort Worth, Texas. In 2007, he joined the Navy's Fleet Logistics Support Squadron as an aviation electrician's mate, attaining the rank of Petty Officer 3rd Class, before being honorably discharged from the Navy in January of 2001. According to his records, Aaron was cited at least eight times for misconduct, which may explain why the Navy originally meant for him to receive a general discharge instead of an honorable one. And in 2010, he was arrested in Fort Worth for discharging a weapon within city limits. This, however, was not his first arrest. 
No, that was in 2004 in Seattle, Washington, when he shot out a man's tires during what he described as an angry blackout. And again in 2008 for disorderly conduct. None of these arrests led to a conviction, which is how he obtained secret level security clearance in March of 2008, despite an arrest involving a firearm. A fact that was learned in the aftermath of the Navy Yard shooting and led to some federal charges. From September of 2012 to January of 2013, Aaron worked on the Navy Marine Corps intranet network for a subcontracting company called The Experts. And after returning from overseas, complained to a former roommate that he was not being paid properly for the work that he performed. Another old roommate would say that Aaron believed that he was the victim of discrimination, but resumed work for The Experts on U.S. soil while working on his bachelor's degree in aeronautics. While his arrests seemed troublesome, there was very little in Aaron's record that screamed motive, leading the media to speculate that he suffered from some form of mental illness. They were correct. According to some outlets, someone dug up an old Rhode Island police report from August of 2013, in which Aaron Alexis claimed that he was the victim of harassment and was hearing voices inside of his head. An FBI official came forward and seemed to confirm their suspicions when they said Aaron believed, quote, he was being controlled or influenced by extremely low-frequency electromagnetic waves and recovered a message from his personal computer devices that said, quote, ultra-low-frequency attack is what I've been subject to for the last three months. And to be perfectly honest, that is what has driven me to this. On August 4, 2013, the Naval Police were called to his hotel at a Naval station in Newport because he had taken apart the bed in his room, believing there was someone hiding underneath it, and had taped a microphone to the ceiling so he could record the voices that he believed were following him. And on August 23rd, less than a month before the shooting, Aaron showed up at a Rhode Island emergency room complaining of insomnia and was prescribed trazodone. Five days later... He did the same at a VA medical center and told the doctors that he was not depressed and not thinking of harming others. It is unclear when and if that mindset changed. He arrived in Washington on August 25th and hotel hopped trying to escape from the voices and two days before the shooting attended a small arms range to test out an AR-15 but ended up buying the shotgun used during the massacre instead. Just before getting onto the base, Aaron scratched the phrases, better off this way, my ELF weapon, not what y'all say, and end to the torment onto the gun's receiver. Aaron Alexis was clearly battling a number of demons and for one reason or another, thought that they could be vanquished at the Navy Yard. In the aftermath of the shooting came the conversation about the adequacy of security at military facilities, with Defense Secretary Chuck Hagel ordering a review of security procedures all around the world. At the time, anyone with a common access card or CAC card could enter many military facilities without being searched, patted down, or sent through a metal detector to any government contractors, civilian Defense Department employees, and soldiers. Because of this, Aaron Alexis entered the Navy Yard without a search, and therefore, no one noticed the broken-down weapon and ammo stashed in his bag. Conservative commenters argue that it was base's, quote, gun-free zone that was to blame. 
theorizing that the shooter wouldn't have done as much damage if others in the building were armed. Others, of course, disagree strongly. On September 25th, 2013, Hewlett-Packard fired the computer firm, The Experts, over its failure to respond appropriately to Aaron's clear mental health issues, claiming that, if they had, he may have received the help he so desperately needed and avoided the senseless loss of life that eventually took place. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to what terrible thing happened on September 17th. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe.